You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Good morning, guys. I am beyond honored and excited to be here, not not just this morning, but in general to be uh, back in Arkansas, to be present with you. Uh, I've got a couple bits of good news. One being I'm going to share the gospel, but the second being that Jared's already hit my first page of notes as I introduce myself and talk about connect cards. So shorter sermon, it's, you can't complain, right? <clears throat> uh, like I said, uh, we, we, Miss Sarah and I are happy to be home. Uh, happy to feel like we're at home, happy for this to be our home for a very, very long time and for our boys to grow up here and for you guys to become like family and to be with our family as well. So, um, yeah, hey, take Jared's encouragement if you feel new or you just want me to reach out to you, fill out one of those connect cards because uh, I would love the opportunity to meet more and more people. I have loved doing that over the past few weeks and want to continue more. So, uh, I'm going to take a moment to uh, read our text, which is found in Philippians chapter 1. So I'm going to read our text and pray, and we'll, we'll get after it and see what God has in store for us through His Word to us. So again, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And because of that, because of this, I rejoice. So, Father, may we rejoice in the preached word of Christ. May we be encouraged by this letter of Paul to preach the word, whether we're a pastor or a parent, a neighbor or co-worker, whatever role we fill, we have the opportunity to share the good news of what you've done. Not the good news of how we've cleaned ourselves up, but the good news that salvation comes through the name of Jesus and how you have cleaned us up. I'm reminded that this letter is written by Paul, who was so far away from you that he was pursuing Christians to persecute them to put them in jail and prison. That you hunted him down. You did the miraculous. You transformed his life. And so I ask, Father, would you do it again? Whose life in this room this morning are you going to change by your word? Whose life will you redeem? Whose wounds might you heal? Father, I ask that you would give believers in this room today the confidence that they need to live out their, their Christian lives with boldness and humility? Would you reveal yourself as a loving father to anybody who does not presently trust in your name? Show them that you're waiting for them to turn to you, not so that you can scold them, but so that you can embrace them. Father, I need your spirit to do the work this morning because my words 
can do nothing without your power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we've said, I'm new. Look forward to meeting you. You've all probably heard about the importance of making a first impression be a good first impression, right? Because your first impression can't be redone again. So if you start off on the wrong foot, it's just not going to be good from there on out. So I apologize to everyone in the room who my first impression is going to offend you. But I have a statement i got to reveal about myself, and it's going to reveal something about you. And you might not like me because of it. <clears throat> I'm a dog person. I'm not a cat person. Don't understand cat people. Don't understand cats. Don't understand you if you're a cat person. And I'm sorry we're going to start off on that wrong foot, but that's just the way it is. I'm a dog person. I would even align myself with a pope one time, who Pope Gregory the Ninth is said to have once said, cats are instruments of Satan. So if you're a cat person... <laughs> And you trust the Pope, maybe you should change your life. I mean, now I will say that last year during COVID, during lockdown, Kansas City was locked down for a while. Uh, I did what most of us probably did and just scrolled through Instagram endlessly. Um, I came across an Instagram account that reveals something new to you that you might not know exists every day. And so there was one day last summer that they revealed to me about these islands in Japan. They're called Cat Island, affectionately. Um, I think we have a photo of one of the Cat Islands. And so this island... Is overrun with cats. The current estimations are the ratio ratio of cats to humans is 36 to 1. Can y'all imagine me up here preaching with 36 cats around me? Like that would be nuts. Imagine if there was 36 cats for every one of you in this room right now. I mean, that'd be like 5,000 cats in the room. That's just insane. Now, there are only uh, six human beings that live on this one island. So, But that's like 200 cats. Like... How did the Golden Girls get 200 cats? Like, I don't understand. So what happened was a consequence of the Japanese uh, government's strategy to combat a rat problem. See, it's a fishing harbor. And if, like me, you've only ever seen fishing boats on movies and never been one on yourself, apparently they have rats pretty often. And so this fishing harbor was overrun with rats. So how do you get rid of rats? You get cats. And by the way, I hope nobody in here is a rat person. We have nothing in common. Um, At least I can relate to a cat person a little bit. Um, So they introduce cats. Cats, hey, they do their job, right? They rid the island of rats. Good job, cats. However, the cats just kept reproducing over and over and over. And now the island is overrun with cats. So they had a consequence, right? They, they got, they've introduced cats and the consequence is the rats are gone, but the unintended consequence is now there are more cats than they want. So this morning, we're going to see that there are consequences to sharing your faith. Some of these consequences are what is intended and some of these consequences are unintended. We're going to see that God can and will use any circumstance for the advance of his gospel in the world and in your lives. As we walk through these few verses in Philippians, we're going to walk through in in three uh, phases, three consequences that we're going to see. First, you'll see that you may suffer negatively if you share the faith. If you share the gospel with people around you, you may suffer negatively. We're not going to sugarcoat that. Secondly, we're going to see that if you share the gospel faithfully to the people around you, you may see the gospel advance uh, among non-believers. 
You may see it work. And third, if you share the gospel faithfully with the people around you, you may see the gospel advance deeper among fellow believers. So turn with me again to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to start reading. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me... Stop. All right. First, we've got to answer, what has happened to Paul? You don't got to be a, a Greek scholar like Sir Adam Breckenridge. Uh, you don't have to know the original language or grab a commentary. Just look up a few verses. Verse 7, Paul explains to them that he is in prison because of the gospel. How many people in this room have been in prison for the gospel before? There's some debate about which time this is for Paul in prison. You know, could have been here, could have been there. A lot of people believe this is when he's in Rome on house arrest. But where he's at and when it is really doesn't matter. And in fact, the fact that Paul was imprisoned multiple times for the gospel only highlights this first point more. That if you share the gospel faithfully, you may suffer negatively for that. This new religion, this new Christianity, this new way was still being evaluated by the Roman government to see if it would be an approved religion like Judaism or if it would be considered traitorous to Caesar. You see, the exclusive claims of Christianity were and still are countercultural. They were the opposite of what was socially acceptable. So that led Paul to being beaten he was harassed and followed by some, some Jewish uh, leaders. He was imprisoned and would eventually lead to his death. There are certainly negative consequences to sharing the gospel. You see, this gospel is not the, some prosperity message that says, hey, once you jump on board, once you get on our team, God's going to put some money in your wallet and give you a brand new car. That's not what this gospel is. This is the same gospel that we see in John 15 where Jesus says, hey, if they hate me, they will hate you. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. But why would they hate Jesus? He's just a good teacher, right? He says things that we like to put in our wedding scripts, right? Why would they hate Jesus? He's just about Christmas and presents. Why would they persecute a man like that? Well, the same Jesus also said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes through the Father except through me. Jesus' gospel is exclusive to any other claim of hope, satisfaction, and salvation. When you claim an exclusive truth like that, people don't always respond very well. So Paul went toe-to-toe with the Jewish leaders and the Roman government. There are missionaries all over the world, even just people living in their country that they grew up in, all over the world who cannot preach Christ as openly as we can today. They cannot share the gospel with their neighbor as easily as we can today. Sarah and I have friends of ours who were missionaries in the Republic of Georgia, not the state, the Republic of Georgia, ministering to Iranian Christians. They were there for a couple years and they had to flee because some Iranians came out and came to Georgia to hunt for them, to find them, to persecute them. And they had to flee for a couple months back to the States. But what about us? I mean, we live in the United States, right? It's not often that you're going to be thrown in prison just because you're a Christian. It's not often that we see violence targeted at Christians simply because they are Christians. It's not unheard of, but it's not common, right? We don't live in that culture. And yet, if you do share the gospel faithfully to the people around you, you may suffer negatively. Now, your suffering may be different than Paul's or some Christian in Iran today. If you hold to this faith, though, 
If you become like Jesus and you do what Jesus did, you will suffer. This could look like you getting passed up on for a promotion at work because you won't work the back channels to manipulate your position to get that promotion. It may look like you being ostracized because you're not joining in on gossip wherever that may happen. It may look like classmates joking at your expense because you won't join in the party scene. Now, all of those examples are just moral things you can do with or without Jesus. So it could also look like you uh, being harassed by your neighbor because you won't share the gospel with them. This may look like you deciding to move to the bad side of town because you care about the people there hearing the gospel and seeing someone live with them faithfully. If you share the gospel, you may suffer negatively. Now, I imagine, though, if, if that's you and you are experiencing those things, you may still feel like, oh, shucks. It's not the same. You may look down on your suffering, but I would actually encourage you not to do that. Because the drip, drip, drip suffering that comes by way of being a Christian in our context may seem less important. It may seem less real or less authentic than the extreme suffering of Christians in Iran. But that does not make it less real. And in fact, many of those people have said it's actually sometimes harder to live as a Christian in this culture than it is there. And with the direction our culture is moving year after year, even to live just a nominally Christian life is going to be so countercultural that you will suffer just by naming yourself as a Christian. And hear my, my voice here when I say this. This is, this is very important. Just because we don't live in a culture where you're going to suffer just because you say you're a Christian, just because you're not going to be ostracized by your family because you name yourself as a follower of Jesus does not give you permission to seek out suffering, does not give you permission to wield the gospel as a weapon against people to make yourself feel self-righteous because you have now suffered for Jesus. You see, Paul suffered simply because he proclaimed the gospel. Yet what he says in his letters is his hope is that the gospel would, would be a sweet aroma of Christ. That would be it to the people, right? For, for a couple years, my sister-in-law lived in my house and she bakes wonderful, wonderful things. And I would just smell, I would walk in my house and smell bread or cookies baking. That's what Paul's going after. He wants the gospel to be that, not to be something that will make people go after him. He wants the gospel to advance among unbelievers. And so let's continue in chapter one. I'm going to start again. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So this is where the unintended consequences come into play. Paul was imprisoned because of the gospel. He's got Jewish opposition to the gospel. And so that's why Paul is being questioned in front of governors of Caesar. The Jewish leaders are trying to shut Paul up the same way Paul tried to shut up other followers of the way in the beginning of Acts. And yet all that they really did was give him a new platform to continue proclaiming that gospel to a new people. Paul used his circumstances, which were bleak, as an opportunity to preach the gospel and the gospel spread like wildfire among unbelievers. You see, Paul has this otherworldly perception of, of what's going on in the world that without fear, he can proclaim the truth of the gospel in the face of adversity. Because although he is the one suffering physically, 
although he is the one in chains, he doesn't actually view himself as the one on trial. Rather, Paul views himself as the defense attorney for the gospel. He stands before judges and rulers. And he, uh, just imagine being in a courtroom. He's standing before judges and rulers, and he is defending the gospel. He has historical evidence. He has scripture as exhibit A. He declares that there are witnesses who have seen this Jesus who was declared dead walking on the earth after his death. He actually wants to sit in the witness stand himself and testify about the life-transforming interaction he had with Jesus on the road to Damascus. You see, he was on the way to persecute more of these followers of Jesus. And Jesus stopped him dead in the tracks and said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul was blinded and said, who are you? Because he couldn't imagine Jesus being real. He must have been perplexed because he thought, persecute you. I'm going after these Christians, these followers of the way, to put them in prison. And now that Paul is transformed into another one of these advancing disciples, he views himself as a defense attorney for the gospel. And if he loses his case, if his defendant is convicted of treason, he will suffer the consequences for the gospel. And in an unintended consequence, the gospel will actually be set free to advance deeper and deeper in the world. You can see over in verse 21 of the same chapter in Philippians, uh, a verse you probably know well. Paul declares that if he is to win this court battle, if his life is Christ, his life is a testimony, his life is representative of Jesus Christ. And if he is to lose and therefore die for the sake of the gospel, this is not a loss in the eternal sense. It's a win. The intended consequence would be to stop the gospel, thinking to kill Paul would stop the advance of the gospel. But he knows it will continue to spread like wildfire, and he would be reunited with Christ after his death. To live is Christ, to die is gain, is not just a fun, pithy saying for Paul. It was literally his two options. It's not a hypothetical situation. He was either going to live and continue living for Christ or die. Now I'm going to jump around just a bit. But in Acts 28, I want to read uh, a bit about Paul's interaction with the Jewish leaders uh, when he first got to Rome. Um, one second. You see, Paul uh, was in the area, and he decided he was going to go back to Jerusalem. <laughs> and all the churches were like, no, please don't. They're going to arrest you. And he says, that's fine. I'm still going to go. And he goes back to Jerusalem. And sure enough, they arrest him. They put him in jail. They put him on trials. And the Romans don't see anything wrong with him. But the Jews just keep pressing on. And he has this right as a Roman citizen to say, I want to appeal to Caesar. And so now they've taken him back to Rome. And he is in Rome, and uh, before he's seeing any governor or judge, he's asked to speak with the, uh, the Jewish leaders that are there in Rome. And so, Acts 28, verse 17, like I said, I'm going to skip a little bit, but here we go. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, he said to them, My brothers, although I had done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. The Romans examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of uh, any crime deserving death. The Jews objected. So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. 
The Jews said, we want to hear what your views are. And they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. So you see, the, the Jewish leaders all throughout Acts, the Jewish leaders that were in Jerusalem, are attempting to shut Paul up. But in an ironic twist of fate, their adversity is his advantage. Instead of him being silent, Paul found new ways to preach to new people. In trying to shut up the gospel, they gave it the platform it needed to expand across the Roman Empire. In putting Paul in chains, they let the gospel out of the cage. The gospel did not advance despite adversity, but rather the gospel advanced because of and through adversity. Because you see, Paul did not back down. He continued to preach. But let me ask you, is that true of you and me? I feel like we're more likely to be the ones acting like the gospel is chained up when it is not. We keep it hidden away out of fear of the consequences of aligning ourselves with it or the shame of what that means about us. When we're hit with adversity, I feel like, at least for myself, I'm quick to lay down. Or even still, I'm guilty that more often than not, I'm not afraid of the consequences of sharing the gospel. I'm just more attracted to comfort and pleasure in other things. I make excuses that I'm too busy or I'm too tired. Because I'm not comfortable going to a people I'm uncomfortable with. With the platform given to Paul, he used his circumstances to proclaim the good news. So let me ask. What circumstance are you in right now where you simply want to complain, where you want to cry out to God and ask, why am I in this situation right now? Why am I still in this job? Why am I still in this house? Why am I still in this relationship? Pause for a moment and think, is this a place right now where I could be sharing the gospel faithfully to the people around me? Is this a place right now where God has ordained me to interact with someone and they could interact with Jesus? Do you think, man, if I was, if I was just in a position of leadership in the church, then I'll start sharing the gospel. Why don't you start right now? Man, do you ever think if my, if my neighbor brings up Jesus explicitly, then I'll tell him a Christian? Well, odds are they're never going to do that. They might not even know you're a Christian if you're not bringing it up explicitly yourself. A lot of people say, and I'm guilty of this myself in the past, I, you know, I just want my conversations with, with non-believers to come up organically, right? I, I, wanna, I don't want to push. I want it to come up organically. Do you know how farming works? Farmers work hard to tend the soil, to de-weed, to plant seeds. I have a photo here of an organic biodynamic winery that Sarah and I went to a few years ago out in California. They work hard to get their crop. They are not allowed to have a chemical on their property whatsoever. So they have to use nature. They have to use sheep to fertilize and eat weeds. They have to work their tails off to get the fruit. They certainly don't sit back, look at their hills and say, come on up. That's not how organic farming works. They have to work at it. So when you want to have organic conversations, you have to work hard at it. You have to plant seeds. You have to tend the soil. You have to water it. You have to have gospel conversation starters ready. As we saw earlier, yeah, you may suffer for that. Your neighbor may begin to joke at you, persecute you. I don't know, kick rocks in your grass. 
But I can say that God can also use that as an opportunity to advance the gospel among non-believers. God can and will use any circumstance for the advancement of the gospel in the world and in your heart. As you share the gospel with unbelievers, that message will continue to transform your own heart. And as you share that gospel with unbelievers, bring along fellow believers. And that message will continue to transform the hearts of Christians around you. So let's look one more time at our text starting in verse 14 this time. Paul again writes, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, you might think that seeing another Christian be persecuted for their beliefs would quiet the other believers. That's at least the intent by the Jewish leaders. They want to quiet everyone else and push this down. You would think that they would see the negative consequences and go into protection mode because we do this a lot in life and things that don't even relate to faith, particularly when the costs outweigh the gains of speaking up. I'm sure that there were Christians in Rome who were intimidated. Heck, the apostle Peter the night Jesus was betrayed, denied Christ three times out of fear. So I'm sure there were Christians in Rome who were intimidated. But some, and Paul actually says most of the brothers and sisters, were actually emboldened by seeing Paul defend the gospel. They weren't shaken to fear because they, he was in prison, but rather they were inspired to live boldly as well. They were emboldened as they heard Paul preach to the Jewish leaders in Rome. They were emboldened as they heard Paul defend the gospel in front of governors and leaders of Caesars. And I'm sure they were emboldened as they probably heard Paul intimately, one-on-one, share the gospel with his prison guards while he was there. It can be extremely encouraging to not only hear of someone sharing their faith faithfully in their daily lives, but also to be brought along with someone and see that happen in practice. I can say as a new pastor on staff, it's actually the, the lunch I had with Adam and Jared back in March um, that I was so encouraged by seeing how Pastor Jared actually interacted with a waitress that we had there, was able to quickly get to her heart. That's a person that we most often just look as a, a servant. We don't even look them in the eyes. They say their name when they come up to us and we don't hear it. But to look at someone made in God's image and share the gospel with them in a, just a moment, it just encouraged me deeply. Now here at the crossing, one of the primary ways you have the opportunity to rub shoulders with fellow believers, to hopefully hear these stories or walk along with someone as they share the gospel with someone is through our missional communities. And so I would strongly encourage you to jump in a a missional community. Think about how you might be advancing the gospel alongside other believers here. Uh, My in-laws actually lead the uh, or host the Next Steps missional community. So I told them, hey, I'm sending everybody to your welcome after the service. So if you're interested in getting in a missional community, come up to me or Jared or go to the welcome desk after the service and ask about how you can get involved. All right, commercial over. Back to Philippians. Okay, so 
news of Paul's courage and his defense of the gospel was spreading like wildfire. The intended consequence of shutting down the gospel has failed. And another unintended consequence is not only that unbelievers were now hearing the gospel as he defended it, but other believers were becoming more bold to also now speak in Paul's absence. Paul rejoices at the end of this section because his life's purpose is to see the gospel advance. His life's purpose is not to be the center of attention or to be the most eloquent preacher in all the land. His life's purpose is to see the gospel advance. And you can see that in this text that in any and every orthodox way, Paul desires to see the gospel proclaimed. And that's what's happening. Now, you also see that there's some division. Paul shared that there are some Christians in Rome who are preaching with a motivation to add to his pain for some reason. They thought that Paul would be saddened or enraged that they're getting the opportunities to preach instead of him. It doesn't say that these uh, preachers are like elsewhere that he calls false teachers or enemies of the gospel. Rather, these must be ones who are preaching the same message he preached, but with bad motivations, something none of us are ever guilty of. Different preachers are not competition to Paul. Different churches here are not competition to us. So the intent to hurt Paul by preaching the gospel is nonsensical. Paul does not scold them here for preaching with a selfish ambition. And yet, if you look over in chapter 2, he does desire their ambition to change. This is evident by his exhortation to the Philippians to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And that would include preaching the gospel while Paul's in prison. That rather than bringing attention to yourselves, he wants to encourage people to bring attention to Jesus. This certainly is a message for preachers in our day and age, but it's not exclusively for them. Because you see, Paul does not say most of the preachers have become bold to speak. Rather, Paul says most of the brothers and sisters have become bold to speak the good news. And so that means you and I are both on the hook. Every single day, God gives you an opportunity to take the platforms he gives you, to take the gospel to the nations and to your neighbors. So be emboldened, be encouraged by Paul's testimony here. Remember in Acts 28, he shared with these people who were opposed to them and some of them believed. Pause again and reflect on those difficult circumstances that you're in right now, where you want to check out, where you lay awake at night, lying in your bed, dreaming of how things could be better if you were really in charge. If God is calling you to live faithfully there, won't you do it? Maybe he's got you where you are right now because you keep crossing paths with some person who needs to hear the gospel today. Can you imagine how he might transform someone's life? Can you imagine how he might transform your life through your faithful proclamation of the gospel? You see, Jesus is worthy of your efforts. You may not be a preacher, but you can proclaim the truth of the gospel. And when you do this, do it out of a godly ambition, not selfish. Not to gain attention for yourself as some amazing evangelist. Not to gain approval from God, but to demonstrate that your approval comes from God through Jesus Christ and what he has already done for you. From whatever platform you are given, proclaim the truth that 2,000 years ago, it looked like Jesus was going to be stopped when he was arrested, beaten, and strung up on a rugged cross. It looked like they were going to put an end to this rabbi. His charge was put on top of the cross that he was being charged for claiming he was the king. They thought they were killing a false king. But he was a king unlike any that had ever existed because he could not be defeated by death. Death was actually his tool to defeat sin. 
because they intended to stop this movement of people following Jesus by killing him. But what they accomplished was another unintended consequence. You see, Jesus didn't come to lead a revolt. He didn't come to conquer Caesar. He didn't come even to overturn the religious Jewish leaders that he so often opposed. Jesus came to defeat sin and death. Jesus came to be the pure sacrifice of God on behalf of sinners, which is you and me. By placing Jesus on the cross, they actually provided the means necessary to make that happen. Jesus humbled himself to death, even death on a bloody, gruesome cross. But God, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess he is worthy of it all. You see, the the people that you are charged to share the gospel with, wherever you are, whether you're in a pulpit or watching your children at the park, whether you're in a cubicle at work or at your dinner table, all of the people that you're charged to share this gospel with will bow the knee. You actually cannot control whether they do that here or later. Your eloquence cannot transform their heart, but your faithfulness can provide the opportunity that they need to trust Jesus now. God can and will use any circumstance for the advance of the gospel in your heart and in the world. Jesus is worthy of it all, Should suffering come your way because of you faithfully proclaiming the gospel? Well, Jesus is worthy of that. He suffered for you too. Should unbelievers become believers because you faithfully proclaim the gospel to them? Jesus is worthy of their affections too. Should fellow believers be encouraged and emboldened to continue to preach the word because you are doing it out in your everyday life? Well, Jesus is worthy of their uh, um, affection as well. And that's why every single week here, We celebrate communion because Jesus is worthy of it all. This communion is an act to symbolize exactly what Jesus did to prove himself worthy of it all. Because Jesus is the only way to God. He is the only source of salvation, of true hope and happiness and fulfillment. You see, like Paul was standing in a courtroom defending the gospel, you will one day stand in a courtroom before God as a judge. Satan will be your accuser and he will have a list of charges against you. And every single one of them is going to be true. And you're either going to be standing there defending yourself with no hope of salvation. Or you'll have Jesus standing there before you. Jesus saying, indeed this one is guilty. But look at my hands. This is a receipt of payment paid for their sins. And he can be that for you today. Because if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Or you're having doubts about your claims about that right now. I'm glad you're in the room. I hope that you feel comfortable. There are so many staff and fellow members of the church here who would love the opportunity to pray with you because this is the most important truth that you could explore. It's so important you should not leave here today without exploring it. If you would not call yourself a Christian, we don't have very many closed doors for you here, but communion is a a practice that we do that I would ask you not to partake in. But use that time as an opportunity to pray to God, to ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to show, is this true? Is this really what's going to give me fulfillment in my life? And if you are a Christian, the way we take communion here right now is with the cups that are in your seat. So you tear off the part at the top and take the wafer out. And this this wafer represents the body of Christ broken for you. And the juice inside represents his blood shed on your behalf. I'm going to pray and you're welcome to take communion whenever you feel led. So Father, we are so often um, 
drawn to pursue comfort and pleasure more often than uh, godliness. We are more attracted to entertainment than we are to seeing you at work in someone's life transforming them. So Father, would you forgive us for that? Would you encourage us? Would you give us a new affection for you so overwhelming, so overflowing that we just feel like we need to have gospel conversations with the people around us? The way we see someone standing in a road with a a truck running their way, we want to yell at them to help save their life. We can't make them get out of the way, but we can tell them the way to salvation. So Father, today would you encourage the hearts of brothers and sisters in this room Thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. Thank you for your spirit to give us the words we need when we want to share the gospel with people. Give us those opportunities. Make us aware. Give us a hyper awareness this week of where we can have the opportunity to share your gospel. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.